you are a visitor, we're so glad that you are here. We're going to the book of Romans. Uh, and if you haven't been here in a while, do not feel like you are missing out or that you have to wait till we start a new series or new book. Uh, what we are doing is going through two or three verses every single week. Uh, this week, we're going through a bigger chunk. There's a lot of meat in here today. Uh, and here's what I want you to do. There's some heavy stuff that Paul talks about, that as a pastor, I'm 100% accountable first to the Lord. And if I run from some of the stuff simply because it's culturally challenging, I don't think that you should have a lot of confidence in me as a spiritual leader of this church. Uh, but what I want to do is press into the stuff that seems countercultural and difficult. You will hear some stuff this morning. Let me go ahead and clear it up. You will hear some stuff that Paul has to say. For some, you're not going to like it. Good. God is not concerned whether or not you like what he has to say. God is concerned with you submitting to what he has to say. It's not yours for the choosing. It's not a buffet if I want some of this and don't want some. No, you take it all. So my desire for you and for myself this morning is that we take it all. We say yes before God even tells us what he wants us to submit to. Again, we will often find that some of this is challenging to submit to only because culturally it has said otherwise. Culturally, we experience some of these things and want to make it okay and want to make it fit. But if it doesn't fit within God's character and holiness, we have no right hanging on to it. We must dismiss it just as he is dismissing it. All right, so this is incredibly important as we go through this passage. If you do not have your book, if you have your book, just raise it up. You got the word of God, just raise it today. Come on, church, proud of you. That's what I'm talking about, the word of God. Yes, we do get excited about that. What I'm going to do is last week we set on these verses that really talk about what happens to those that never hear the gospel and, and what happens to those um, that, that say, hey, we're out here and, and there is no church, there is no Bible. How are we supposed to know? How are they held accountable? We went through those verses. However, we did miss a lot of other meat that Paul is speaking to that is going to draw us back to these verses. I'm going to start with verse 17. And we're going to finish all the way in verse 32 today, uh, so you're going to have to stay with me. But hear me clearly, this is unbelievably important. It's speaking to the wrath of God. It's also speaking to who receives the wrath of God and why you receive it. Uh, I want you to know that you want to know this information. When I was a kid, I was a very bad kid. Um, I don't know what it was in me. Uh, but every time my grandma or mother told me or asked me to do something, I naturally wanted to do the opposite. I don't know why. I wanted to figure out for myself. My grandma didn't happen too many times. Uh, back in the day, they used to spank. And my grandma, y'all get time out these days. Y'all lucky. My grandma <laughs> helped raise me, and um, she had a house slipper. <laughs> we called it a chunkla where I'm from. And when I would do something bad, um, I would fear that little house slipper. My grandma was about 70-something years old at the time, but she had a swing like Barry Bonds. Like, I don't know where <laughs> she got it from. But it only took me rebelling against my grandma a handful of times and experiencing that chancla, that sandal, before it course corrected me. And we would joke, and, and, and we would do something bad. My grandma was at work, and then it was like slow motion. We'd hear the car pull up. We'd start sweating, like, oh, no, where can I hide? I hid underneath the bed sometimes. And we joke, you're going to feel the, the wrath of grandma come? 
and it terrified us. But the reality is I didn't know it in the moment. Grandma's wrath and spankings was always led to discipline and correct me. It wasn't for the simple fact I'm going to spank him to get my anger out. It was let me go ahead and course correct him so he stops making the same mistakes that I keep getting him in trouble. That's what my grandmother was doing. Paul today is going to speak of the wrath of God. Why the wrath of God? What is the wrath of God and why do we receive the wrath of God? Who receives the wrath of God? Now, we're going to take a look here in verse 17. For in the righteousness of God is revealed... From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So verse 17 alone, you have to stick with me the entire time. Verse 17 is speaking of what is being revealed here in verse 17. Right here, you see God's, in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Okay, so you see the righteousness of God reveals from faith to faith. And it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Then he goes to verse 18, speaking of a whole other revelation that is being revealed for the wrath of God. Now, here's what's incredibly important. If you're taking notes, write this down, because some people get the wrath of God incredibly confused. I was raised Catholic, and not that the Catholic Church wanted me to think this, but for some reason, um, my family thought it was important to instill in me that God was going to punish me if I did wrong. And that I lived in fear, but I, I for some reason, misinterpreted the word I'll punish you, and I thought they said he's going to punch you. And so I lived as a kid, but really terrified to some degree, thinking, where's that fist going to come out of if I keep living wrong? So my doctrine to what the wrath of God was was actually skewed and messed up. So let me put the wrath of God back in its proper place. By the way, the wrath of God is consistent from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God's character doesn't change, it's consistent. Now, here's how we see the wrath of God. Also, side note, the wrath of God is mentioned more than the love of God. But the wrath of God is also coupled with the love of God. Now, listen, what is the wrath of God? Here it is. God's wrath is his perfected reaction directed towards sin. God's wrath is his perfected reaction directed towards sin and evilness. Number two, God's wrath is provoked by sin. What provokes God into reacting in a wrathful way? Sin. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, what provokes God's wrath? It's always tied to sin every single time. God's wrath, hear this, is experienced right now. Some take God, that word wrath and think it's going to come on the day of judgment. It's heaven and hell. That's God's wrath. True, but that's not only true. God's wrath is also being experienced today. It's present. And we'll see what Paul says in Scripture about this. God's wrath is experienced later. So God's wrath is present tense and future tense. Okay, we'll use Scripture to break that down in just a minute. God's wrath is right. And just. Now, God's wrath, this word wrath, when you research the word wrath in the original context in Hebrew or Greek, God's wrath is always tied to God's anger, God's irritation, and God's response to sin. But we have to be very careful. Although scripture is very clear about God's anger, God does not get angry the way man gets angry. 
The majority of the time when we become angry, it's because we feel a sense of injustice or our pride has been hurt. Can I, can I confess something from the pulpit? I'm pretty athletic. I'm sorry, not athletic. I'm pretty competitive. Used to be athletic. <laughs> and I, I love athletics. I love all kinds of sports. And I get competitive sitting in front of the TV. Uh, well, I decided to coach my son's team. And he's seven. And, and I became the dad that I always used to make fun of. So, so I, during the game, there was what I felt a sense of injustice. So I thought, well, it's my duty to make it right. And so I started arguing with the referee. This was just yesterday, by the way. This wasn't long ago. I just want you to know. It's not like before Christ, before I was a Christian. No, I'm very much so a Christian. It was yesterday. So I'm like, hey, it's 30 to 24. If they get the ball one more time and score the last two minutes of the game and make the extra point, we lose the game. So I, I can't let this happen. You're cheating us. So I start talking to the ref. The coach starts talking. I start talking to the coach. And then like something, maybe it was the Holy Spirit said, you're a pastor. <laughs> well, I'm also human, Holy Spirit, okay? <laughs> when do I get the taste of your grace when I mess up? But in the moment, I didn't get out of control, so don't worry. It was all internal, but there were, and some verbal, but there was this <laughs> internal frustration that was not righteous. And, and the unrighteousness and frustration that hit my pride and the sense of injustice made me feel like I had to do something about it, which led to verbal, I didn't cuss, don't worry, I, but it led to, so that ain't right, and that kind of stuff. See, when we are offended or our pride is hit, think about it in marriage, by the way, when you don't like the tone of your spouse, what did you mean by that? What's the way you said it? Or let's, let's even, the text message, got it? With a period? What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> well, just got it? Are you mad? No, well, I'm busy. Like, what you, but do you know what I'm saying? We're... we're our pride is hurt and we react to really defend ourselves. God is not egotistic when he reacts. God's pride is not hurt. A holy God is offended. And therefore he reacts to the sin that has taken place. He is, every time God's wrath from Old Testament, New Testament is, is shown, you may not like it, but let me tell you this, it's right. And it's, it comes out of Righteousness. And it's just. No one, you can say it, but it, it, it doesn't really matter. You can't say, that's not fair, God. Because everything God does is fair. You don't get to determine fair. He determines fair. And so when we speak of God's wrath, I, I want us to know, but here's what I feel like has happened culturally and over time, if you're not careful. Listen, Christians, or even if you're in here and you're not a Christian, there's been this this. I don't know when it happened, but there's like this, this looseness of fearing who God is and, and fearing the holiness of the creator. We don't fear him the way we used to. There's this holiness about God that should give us a healthy fear to not want to sin against a holy God and righteous God because of what he can do if he chooses to do it. Like something in our culture has said, hey, you're a Christian, keep sinning. There's, you're filled with grace. What the culture doesn't tell you is that 
Every sin has a consequence, and the consequence always leads to destruction of yourself, the people around you, and most importantly, your relationship with God. You should be terrified to sin against God. In fact, if you're in this room and you have no conscience and you're a Christian and, and you freely just sin, listen, be terrified of where that's leading you. Like, scripturally, you know what they did when they sinned or something happened or sin had an effect? They, they would mourn, they would fast, they would shave their head and they would just mourn. They would feel so filthy and dirty that they sinned against the holy God. And they repent, they turn from it. What I discover with our culture is we don't repent. And when we cry because sometimes we're, we're tired of the same old sin and we get up and we feel forgiven, then we keep partaking in the same sin, uh, that tells me we're not really remorseful. We just feel the guilt and we're full from that sin. Once we get empty, we'll go back and eat it again. Big difference. Man, I'm, I'm talking about, and what Paul's talking about this morning is saying, my goodness, hate your sin the way God hates your sin. I, I really do believe, Christians in the room, if you knew what your sin actually does, if you knew where your sin is taking you, you would fight much harder to stop sinning. I really believe that if you actually knew what's taking place, if you, if you knew how it's affecting your life personally, you would mourn and hate it and want to stop it. Not repent because you're full and continue it. You would also take extreme measures. If you're single, I'm going to get pretty transparent, but and you're dating somebody and, and you're sexually immoral, I don't know why we do it. We, we're at home, nobody's there, but we're sitting on opposite sides of the couch. We watch a movie, stay late, and it's going to happen. I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what. Stop putting yourself in that position. Stop it. Don't you understand what the sin is actually doing and what it's cultivating? According to James, sin is actually leading somewhere. It's going to give birth. And too many times we plant the seeds of sin and we we actually like it. Let's be honest, we like the sin. We like like the way it makes us feel in the moment. And, And once we plant the seed of sin and we continue with the same sin over and over, you begin to water that sin. And that sin will bear fruit. It will. Whether Satan is patient and it takes 40 years, or Satan is patient or it moves a little qu- or quicker and it takes four days. But sin will always bear the fruit of destruction. And so here, we have to understand that there is a wrath of God that we must fear. We have to fear it, Christians. If we don't fear the wrath of God, we don't have a proper view of the wrath of God. Now, so the wrath of God is revealed. Okay, someone asked the question, I thought it's only coming later. According to Paul, it's being revealed right now. Is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So the wrath of God is revealed against who? This word, all it means is those who disregard God and those who even call, maybe to our culture, call themselves Christians but live like atheists. Christians who live like atheists. This is, this is secularism. This is speaking to those who have no regard for God. And then he's saying unrighteousness. So this really ties together. Those who have no regard for God, you live like there's not a God. Therefore, 
unrighteousness, you have righteous acts. You act like there's not a God. You live like there's not a God, therefore you act like there's not a God. Those two are tied together. In fact, I wonder if people were to follow us around, just look at our lives and actions and words and thoughts, would they know that you are a Christian? Would you, are you living like there is a God? This is what this is speaking to. And then he says this, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now he's speaking to people, here specifically Gentiles, but he's speaking to those people who know the truth of God, yet what do they do? What does that word say? They suppress it. This word suppress, get this picture in your mind. You ever uh, jumped in the pool and you have a ball with you and like you keep pushing the ball down, it keeps popping up. You try to sit on it and it just moves your body over. It's like the, like the ball won't stay down. Just no matter what you do, it just keeps popping back up. This is exactly what this word means. It means to try to suppress something, but it keeps popping back up. Just like a, a ball in the pool, we try to suppress, but it keeps popping back up. Just like the Patriots, we're tired of them winning, but they keep, keep winning and come back up. I'm glad I woke you up. Like, no matter what you do, it just keeps coming back up. This is what he's saying. They're trying to suppress it, but it's going to keep coming back up. But what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. We went through all this last week. For his visible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and that the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Again, this was last week's sermon. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, they suppressed the truth so much. They knew what God was saying, but you suppress it so much. Look at the result that their heart became darkened. Claiming to be wise, that's where we get that word philosophy from. Some call their children Sophia. It means wisdom. We also get our word philosophy from this word. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Uh, What Paul was speaking to here is polytheism, that they began to create different images in the image of God. If you want to study a little deeper, um, some would believe that Paul is, is referencing the book of wisdom found in the Apocrypha. Okay, that's a whole other issue. But if you want to go a little deeper, uh, feel free to go in there. It's actually the book of wisdom, chapter 13. I don't claim the Apocrypha, by the way. But if you want to go a little deeper, I don't claim it. This is the word of God right here. Not this screen, but the, the book. <laughs> Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Okay, I want you to listen to what's going on here. God gave them opportunity to surrender. He gave them opportunity to know God is real. He gave them opportunity. They kept suppressing it, suppressing it, and suppressing it. Look at the result from them continuing to re- suppress who God was and the truth of God. You have to listen. If you're in here today, and I know I'm moving fast, there's a lot of information. I want you to listen to the consequence of, of them suppressing who God is. Okay? Here's what happens. Therefore, God gave them up. You will see that three times that he uses here in Scripture. Verse 20, 24, 26, and 28. It said they suppressed and rejected God so much that he just gave them up. Here's what God did. You don't want to listen. You don't want to surrender. Fine. Have at your own sin. That's what he did. And that's not very nice of God. So the wrath of God here is tied to God allowing them go their own way. Isn't that interesting? 
It's, it's kind of like parents when you, you keep telling a child not to do something and they want to do it. You're like, fine, go ahead, see what happens. It's, it's almost that picture without God throwing a tantrum. His is the righteous way to do it. But he's almost saying, fine, you want to keep going? I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to stop you. I know what happens when you indulge in sin. You want to do it? Fine, have at it. And I want you to see the consequences of them having at it and God giving them up because he says it three times. So what did God give them up to? Lust of their hearts to impurity. Listen, because what's interesting is we're seeing all this still culturally. You're going you're gonna to read, you're going you're to see all this and you're going to start, names are going to start popping up. Or you're going to see this and you're going to get angry. Because scripture is speaking to the way you're living or the way somebody else is living that you know that you think is okay. And you have a decision to make once you hear this scripture. Don't plug your ears. Once you hear this scripture, you have a decision to make. Act like the Gentiles and keep suppressing the truth. Or you submit and surrender to what God wants. But the, and there's, there's consequences to both, by the way. So here's what he says. So he gave them up to the lust of their heart, to this honoring of their bodies among themselves. So what he is saying is they rejected God. The very first thing they did is they went and indulged in sexual immorality. Interesting how that happens. So look, their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. Then look, for this reason, once again, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Everybody ready? Straight up word of God right here. I can hide behind the screen. I can sit in front of it. I can go on this side. It's going to come out the same. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. God said, you, you, you want to do your own thing and you don't want to see me as father in heaven? Have at it. And this was the result. Natural relations. I think we know where this is going. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. Pretty sure we digest this. And were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And he keeps going. He didn't he didn't hold back any punches here. Do, do we know what this is talking about? Do we know what this is talking about, church? Now listen. I this is very clear in Scripture. Now, there's some of you in this room, and, and, and maybe it's your first time, or maybe you're a church member, and you have these natural passions and desires in you. And you're like, I don't want them. But I, I, was, I was born this way, or I don't want them, but it's, just, it's in me. I don't know what to do with this. God's wrath coming on me. What happens to me? Let me be overwhelmingly clear because sometimes I think as Christians we can become bigots in this area. And sometimes I wish we'd, we'd raise the flag and protest all the other sins and not just this one. Because it's all sin that put him on the cross in my opinion. It's actually factual according to scripture. 
But church, North Phoenix Baptist Church, I would love for this church to be just as vocal about this passage and what he says next. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, third time he says it, by the way, gave them up to a debased mind. This means a mind that just simply could not comprehend morality. They were so far deep that their mind couldn't even comprehend how wrong they were. This was the the reaction to this. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God. Now, I am going to stop right here because here is why the passage before this, and, and listen, I, I stand on all of this. Everything Paul mentions, he's right. All this is wrong. But I'm just as passionate as, as, as homosexuality and what God has created for marriage, just as I am with gossips and slanderers, by the way. Because they both do the same thing. They work against what God is trying to do. The great news is no man can thwart the plans of God. But all are seeds, in my opinion, planted by Satan that's trying to bear fruit to divide the church and divide the work of God. So if we are going to be quick on homosexuality, which we know as a church where we stand, we are to be quick but not bigots. What was it that drew you to Christ? His loving kindness. That why you were so dirty in your sin as I was. That a loving God came straight for your heart. Straight for you. You know what that was like, right? You remember that? You were were just all about yourself and, and sin and indulging in it. And he went straight for your heart while you were at your worst. While you were still a sinner that he gave his son for you. And he came straight for your heart. His loving kindness broke you to your knees. I don't know why you would love me, God. I don't deserve it. And he just pulls you to him and you surrender. I hear a thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you. I know what I deserve. Like that's what drew us to him is loving kindness, right? So Christians, you ever thought God wants to use you to draw others to him through your loving kindness that shows his loving kindness? Not hatred and retweets on Facebook or social media that just spews hate. That is not the heart of God. And I've yet to see hate transform a heart. I've seen the love of God. My gosh, take the sinner of all sinners and take their heart and transform it before man. The woman at the well. And Jesus didn't. He could have said whatever he wanted. He didn't sit there and talk about you're sexually immoral and you're dirty and you're filthy. And this is how I'm going to make you feel. No. It was his loving kindness that drew her to him. That caused her to repent, to go into a community, to share about this Jesus, his loving kindness. So, Christians, my goodness, that should be what we are and what we do. Spewing the love that he has bestowed on us, not spewing the hate. That should be, and you're thinking, well, pastor, you're getting weak and getting soft on us. Sure, I'm glad God didn't get so hard-hearted towards any of us that we couldn't receive him. 
but his loving kindness. I will stand firm on believing that God has created marriage between a man and a woman. I stand firm on that. But I stand firm that hatred and bigotry is not the answer to transform anybody's heart. That's what I stand firm on as a church. So here the wrath of God is is tied to God allowing them go their own way. Ain't that interesting? By the way, does God unleash his wrath on believers? If the wrath of God in this in here is tied to God allowing them to do all of this, let's be real, I know a lot of Christians doing all of this. So does that mean they're experiencing the wrath of God? Here's what I saw. It took me on a rabbit trail. In the Old Testament, the wrath of God is spewed out on his people, the Israelites, correct? Yes. But he spewed it on the Israelites in order to correct them. Those who were not part of God's family, their wrath destroyed them. When you get to the New Testament, I've yet to find where the wrath of God is on believers in the New Testament. But you find the discipline of God on believers. The wrath of God in the Old Testament to his own people was bestowed to correct. In the New Testament, the discipline God has bestowed to discipline and to correct. On each occasion, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, the wrath of God to the believer always, to the unbeliever, always leads to their destruction. Now, what it has in common in both of these is whether you're a believer or unbeliever, if you're partaking in any of this, let me go ahead and give you the destination. It's always destruction. Every single time on earth. Now, so he speaks to all of these things. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. So here's another thing, by the way. We're not going to like it, but James talks about it. Where does a life that's unrepented and ungenerated, surrendering wholly to God, lead to? Death. Every time. James gives us a a roadmap for that. Now here's here's what I'll close with. I, I think we see all of this all around us, right? We see it all around us. The wrath of God being displayed presently. And there will be a wrath of God one day when he comes back and his judgment happens. But let me just tell you, nobody in this room wants to experience that wrath. And I urge you this morning, Christians, what what Paul is speaking to here is unbelievers, by the way. You know what's scary? And you can do it along with me. Although Paul is naming unbelievers all here. It's sad and unfortunate. This same list he mentions Match up to some believers I know, and you know, and we know. So my daughter, and I'll close on this story. 
she's five. And um, for two months now, we don't really know what's going on. She's just been randomly throwing up like 15 times a day for five days straight. And then she'll stop and another 15 days. And we're just like, what is, this has been two, three months. What is going on? She didn't have a fever. She's not sick. And so we recognize that she, she has all these symptoms and we can't figure out. And, and, and I, I majored in sports medicine, so I, every once in a while I think I'm a homemade doctor. And so um, you know how we do. Well, before we go to the doctor, let's try um, honey. You know, and so we're trying all these um, remedies that, that just aren't working, to be honest with you. Um, and we've taken her checkup and checkup, and we're trying stuff at home. So we finally take her to a specialist after three months. And so the specialist is like, interesting, I've never heard of a case like this. So here's what we're going to try to eliminate what may, may be wrong with her. So he lists all these things that could potentially be wrong. And it's like he drew me for like an hour asking me for all the symptoms. I'm just like, all right, I feel like I'm in the FBI investigation. Like, you asked me this five times, and my story's not going to change. And he just kept, and I, and I know what he was doing. He wanted to get all the information so he knew exactly, exactly how, how to find the cure to, to help her. And we don't know the answer just yet. He's still working on it. But there are, there are something that, there's something that my wife and I had to do. We had to acknowledge there's something wrong with her. We had to take her in and listen to the doctor. We had to trust the doctor. Then we had to let the, do, the doctor do his job. If we are not careful as Christians, we try to implement shallow remedies to an illness that we have that only Jesus can fix. The first thing Paul is trying to point out is you have a problem. The symptoms are right here. Diagnosis, you don't have Jesus. The cure, Jesus. What's great about our God, he's not a forceful God. I always say the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to force you, but he will lead you and guide you. So this morning... Only you know. What are your symptoms this morning? What are your symptoms? What is going on in your heart? What remedies are you trying to make it right? Let me tell you, the answer is the same all across the room. Only Jesus can fix. Only Jesus can fix it. Let's pray together.